welcome to the world beyond the tale the page a day american gods podcast i'm your host james and today we're reading page 44 just the slightest tang of formaldehyde and rot beneath the surface at the far end was the chapel of rest shadow realized that he was palming the gold coin moving it compulsively from a back palm to a front palm to a downs palm over and over the weight was reassuring in his hand his wife's name was on a sheet of paper beside the door at the far end of the corridor. He walked into the chapel of rest. Shadow knew most of the people in the room. Laura's family, her workmates at the travel agency, several of her friends. They all recognized him. He could see it in their faces. There were no smiles, though, no hellos. At the end of the room was a small dais, and on it a cream-colored casket with several displays of flowers arranged about it. Scarlets and yellows and whites and deep, bloody purples. He took a step forward. He could see Laura's body from where he was standing. He did not want to walk forward. He did not dare to walk away. A man in a dark suit, shadow guest he worked at the funeral home, said, Sir, would you like to sign the condolence and remembrance book? And pointed him to a leather-bound book, open on a small lectern. He wrote shadow and the date in his precise handwriting. Then slowly he wrote puppy beside it putting off walking toward the end of the room where the people were and the casket and the thing in the cream casket that was no longer Laura. A small woman walked in from the corridor and hesitated. Her hair was a coppery red and her clothes were expensive and very black. Widow's weeds, thought Shadow, who knew her well. Audrey Burton, Robbie's wife. Audrey was holding a sprig of violets wrapped at the base with silver foil. It was the kind of thing a child would make in June, thought Shadow, but violets were out of season. Audrey looked directly at Shadow, and there was no recognition in her eyes. Then she walked across the room to Laura's casket. Shadow followed her. Laura lay with her eyes closed and her arms folded across her chest. She wore a conservative blue suit he did not recognize. Her long brown... And that's our page. So today, I'm joined on the podcast by... Either a small rat or a large mouse who is trapped in a trash can here in the garage where I record... And he's making a lot of noise. I hope it doesn't pick up on the mic, but if you hear any rustling in the background... Well, that's Mickey. Shadow starts the page by noting that the funeral home smelled like flowers and furniture polish on the previous page, but he's still able to smell the formaldehyde, and I wonder if he's actually able to smell the rot beneath the surface, or if, or if it just occurs to him that that's what he's smelling when he smells formaldehyde. I wonder also if that's a theme for the novel, The Rot Beneath the Surface. I don't know. I'm spitballing because it's 5.30 in the morning and I'm tired. I know that that the odor of, of formaldehyde is always... It's always there in funeral homes, or at least the ones that I've been to. It's never obvious, and it's never the first smell you notice. But I feel like it's really hard not to notice it once you have caught a whiff of it. It also could be just subtle or not so subtle foreshadowing to Laura's resurrected state a few pages ahead of where we are, especially the rot beneath the surface line. Hmm. Actually, yeah, that's probably what that is. Not necessarily a larger allegorical theme, is it? Well, put a pin in that. Chapel of Rest was not a phrase I was familiar with, but it's a reference to the room where the wake is held. Because it was capitalized, I thought maybe it was something particular to Wendell's, but it isn't. I also thought maybe it was more of a British term, 
because I did get a few more Google results in that direction. But I don't really think it's something like that that just slipped past an editor. I think it's just that I don't attend many funerals or visit many funeral homes. It also could be more regional to other parts of the country that I've never lived in. I don't know. It just I wanted to point it out because it was never something that I was intimately familiar with. So we also get more coin trick jargon. A back palm is when the coin is held on the back of the hand vertically, held in place by your pointer and pinky, which I tried doing as I was researching this, and I, I don't, I can't. Front palm is more self-explanatory, but it's held pretty much in like the meat of the palm, and you use your thumb muscles to hold it in place. I I tried doing that as well, and I kind of got it, but I don't know how to make it look natural. Although it looked like it did look like I was trying to hold something in my hand. So no magician am I. Dunlin's palm is when you balance the coin on top of your pointer finger and hold it in place with your thumb, so the audience would see it. I'm making hand motions here that you can't see. Sorry. Audio medium. Um, The audience would see it basically side on, and it would then disappear either because your thumb was covering it or because it was thin enough not to be seen. Let's see. He cycles through the techniques because he's nervous about walking into a room full of people who used to know him as a pair with Laura. Also, he's fresh out of prison, and I'm certain they know... I don't know. I guess I don't know for certain that they know why he was in prison, at least not specifically. But it's a small town, so I would not be overly surprised if they did. I also kind of get the feeling that Shadow doesn't know a lot of people. He knew Robbie, and he maybe knew people at the Muscle Farm. But the funeral, at least, gives no indication that anyone he knows is at this funeral, except for Audrey, who walks in midway down the page. There's also a lot of colors on this page as well for the flowers. Scarlet, yellow, white, deep, bloody purple. Cream-colored casket. Audrey's copper-red hair, her black clothes. Yeah, it's Audrey. She's here. First mentioned on page... Um, Oops, notes gone. Uh, 16. Laura's best friend and Robbie's wife. Man, there's there's so much stuff that happens on the next page, and I love it. We'll get to it tomorrow. For this page, Widow's Weeds was a another term I was unfamiliar with, but really evocative. I thought it maybe was just something that Neil snatched out of the air because it has that alliterative quality with the W's, but it actually goes back quite a while. Research plants it as distinctly archaic terminology, but weeds were once known uh, not just as the weeds from your garden, but would be garments one would wear. Old English word wade or wadey, W A E D E. Oh, it's probably weed, huh? Hmm. Um, it's spelled with the ash. That's the A and E combination. So I don't know how to say that. So W ash D E. Sure. They are also known as morning weeds, keeping the same definition for weeds, but the alliteration is much more pleasant. So I'm glad they went with it. Traditionally, um, well. Semi-traditionally, back in Victorian times at least, one would typically wear widow's weeds for a full year after the death of a loved one. Audrey brought violets, uh, another colorful object, and it's full of symbolism. The Smithsonian notes that violets are violets, not violence. Well, hmm. What's more American than violence? 
Violets are traditionally connected with thoughts of love, though in Greek mythology more connected with innocence and modesty. In Shakespeare, specifically Hamlet. Nope. Specifically, yeah. No, I'm right. Okay. In Shakespeare, specifically in Macbeth, Ophelia mentions violets in her flower-related ravings in Act 4, Scene 5. And in that case, part of the internet and not my own reading because I haven't read Hamlet in 20 years, it stands for faithlessness. No. It stands for faithfulness and modesty. Modesty seems to be a fairly common interpretation of the flower, so I think there is some good, delicious irony in Audrey giving these to Laura. Whether or not Audrey is aware of the irony is up for debate. I would guess no, but we don't really get to know Audrey that well, at least not well enough to know how deep she is into flower symbolism. Which is another thing we could talk about representation of women in the novel but i guess for right now i won't it's it's not on the page specifically the other thing that came out of my research which there's no hint of it on the page but it was too interesting not to mention from about 1910 into the 1950s it was a popular flower for lesbian and bisexual women to give one another um as a symbol of their love it was given as a symbol of their love and based on the poetry of the Greek poet Sappho, who wrote in one poem, Many crowns of violets and roses at my side you put on, and many woven garlands made of flowers around your soft throat. I found a website on WordPress, Priyanka's Essays, that gave me that particular translation. There were a few different translations of it out there, and that was by far the best. Um, violets and Roses in the Roman Empire also celebrated the Festival of Roses, known as Rosalia, ceremony to honor the dead, so the deep reds and the purples of the flowers, uh, both on the page here and traditionally in this ceremony, were thought to symbolize blood or possibly wine, so the use of flowers, especially flowers like these, to adorn gravesites has been around for quite some time. Shadow notes that the violets are out of season, and it seems like an odd thought, but... I don't know, I guess, I guess, I th I would think most flowers would be out of season in the winter, as we're, or at least late fall, whenever we're dealing with them in this book. But I am pretty ignorant in the ways of actual gardening. Symbolism, I got, I can, I can research that, and I can understand that, the actual process of it. Also, um, I like that Laura is in a blue suit, conservative blue suit, that Shadow doesn't recognize. She'll be wearing that for most of her appearances in the book, which is just uncomfortable to think about. And before I get to my business doing at the end here, I need to say a special thank you to James from Unabashedly Obsessed and Tema, new friend of the podcast and eternal friend of all podcasts, God willing, um... They both pointed out that one of my episodes had not uploaded correctly, and I would not have noticed it at 8.30 to 9 o'clock in the morning. I probably would have noticed it closer to 4 or 5 in the evening without their assistance. So thank you, too. I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate you noticing where I fucked up. If you notice that I fucked up, please get in touch. The email is theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com and Twitter at worldbeyondpod. I'd like to say thank you to Julian Granganash for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues that we use as our theme song. 
Thank you for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow for another page. And remember, only the gods are real.